0: A couple of weeks ago, I was guest interrogator, for want of a better term, on Strata Lawyer, David Bannerman's Lawyer in the Hot Seat session on his podcast. We ran the first half of that session last week. Um, it's still up, obviously, as a podcast. And this is, as promised, the second part of that session. And it covers quite a lot of ground. So, uh, Sit back, relax, and listen to Lawyer in the Hot Seat, part two. I am Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And this is the flat chat wrap. The first question, I'm hoping you have it in front of you. It's complicated. Can the Strata Committee or Owners Corporation use bylaws to reclassify standard strata common property as exclusive use so that the first three stages of a community, and this is referring to 117 semi-detached villas on private roads, do not have to fund maintenance for the final stage, the minority of 46 apartments? Okay, so let's assume that the question was... uh relating to a strata scheme and not a
1: community scheme, and so limiting it to a strata scheme in New South Wales, quite often what this would be would be a stage development. So first stage was a particular series of buildings or a building, second stage, uh, another building, third stage, another building or series of buildings. And the strata development contract, which would have been registered to identify the existence of such a site, would have given the developer 10 years to conclude the project. And so, what you typically have is a scenario where there was an original strata scheme, or it could have been a house or a series of houses that were subsequently strata subdivided with these other two stages to conclude at the back end in 10 years. And that was subdivided in such a way that it left many of the owners there fixing their own property. And then, when they subdivided these other later stages, they had to contribute to fixing more than the property of their own that the other owners had to fix for theirs. So a, a typical example is where there's a an old house, a big house, a country farmstead house, and then at the back there's a strata subdivision and they put in a new strata subdivision. And when they created this right to finish this other stage, they said that everything within the cube for which the house is located is part of the lot. And they've got to pay for their own for all their structures and waterproofing and roof and everything like that. But then when they register the second stage, the owners for that house have, have to pay for the roof and the walls and the slabs and the floors and the doors that are um for the second stage. And they feel as though this is an unfair situation here. And but the answer coming back to the answer to the question was can a bylaw give those owners in that second building the obligation solely to repair and maintain? Those items so that these people in the first building do not, then yes, they can. However, the bylaw, it would be limited, it couldn't cover everything. It'd be limited pretty much to the repair and maintenance of those structures, and that is the common property structures. But you'd need to have a registered bylaw in which each owner in that second building had provided their written consent to take on that obligation. Now, typically, when somebody is looking to provide their signature on a document to give consent to something, they'll be looking at what's in it for me. And if there's nothing in it for them, they're not likely to want to all of a sudden have to pay more unless they're compelled to. Hence why somebody from that first building could propose a bylaw by way of general meeting, which could be refused at a general meeting in which those other owners voted. And then they could go to mediation to try and cut a deal we have been involved in cutting a deal like that in that scenario. Or it could go to NCAT for an order that the tribunal make the bylaw to transfer the obligations to those owners. We have been involved in those as well. So the answer to the question is yes. The problem is it would require the written consent of each of those owners to obtain, and the
0: what's in it for me factor will come into play. I Actually, it's an interesting one about the minority. We had a communication recently there was a community title, so it was like three or four strata schemes, basically under the same system, under, under, under community management statement? Yeah, yeah. So they had each had their own strata, but they also had a community committee, and there was one guy in the biggest building who he he was just they nobody wanted him. He, he was he was a pain. Um, they wanted rid of him, and so they they put forward a motion. To the committee to vacate the chair, they couldn't throw him off the committee, but they could stop him being the chairman.
1: Yeah, you can That's, change that that role at any committee meeting, uh, and nobody can flex with unit entitlement
0: benefit there. That's the committee to decide. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, David. Yeah, but this guy had more than twenty five percent of the voting power, and so he was able to have the motion removed from the agenda. Well, to the extent it's a valid committee uh,
1: decision and it would be to just re-elect office bearers because it's the committee that chooses the office bearers and everyone just carries in equal vote in that forum. And assuming it was well-drafted, then it would have been entitled to be voted upon. Uh, if it's poorly drafted, the chairperson can rule the motion out of order on the yeah. doesn't apply to the law. And from that point of view, he could have ruled it out.
0: But isn't it true that uh, 25% of owners or voting power can have a motion removed from, from discussion at a, at a committee?
1: Uh, no, what you can do, at least in a strata scheme level, I'd have to check for the uh, community level, but I imagine the fraction's still the same. But in a strata scheme, you can have um, 30% of the owners sign, oh, sorry, one-third of the owners sign a petition to say that we don't want the committee to vote on this motion. So it's a bit like the opposite. It's like the power to veto the committee yeah. making a decision on something. Yeah. So if he had the requisite support, he could have provided prior to the committee's decision on that an ability to veto that is the committee making that decision. So they weren't yeah. able to, to go through it. Now, I can't remember in community whether it's 25% or a third, but I'd say it's probably mirrored to strata because they try to make as things as simple yeah. as possible.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what he was doing. He was basically they were turning up ready to vote him out, and he was saying, Yeah, I've got I've got more votes than you. <laughs> and and right. uh, I'm stopping yeah, yeah. you even discussing this. Okay, I'll go back to your much more sensible questions here. Just as the oppression of minority shareholders is an established area of company law. Have you seen a similar trend emerging in strata law? And what are your views on the transferability of minority oppression in company law to strata law?
1: Uh, Look, firstly, the company law is specifically excluded from strata law. It's specifically expressed in legislation not to apply. And so it's up to the strata legislation to pick up ideas from the corporation's law and fold it into the strata law. And it has been doing that over the years, in the strata schemes management act now fraud on the minority has been run last time it was successfully run was decades ago hmm. uh, and so it's rarely run uh, it was recently run about 10 years ago in relation to a building next to me but not successfully run and but where the strata schemes management act picks up on the corporation's law on the fraud on minority part more effectively is where somebody can make an application for a section 237 manager to employ a compulsory manager. And basically, a lot of those applications are where a certain minority, no matter how sensible the decision is and how compliant the decision is, they're being refused by the committee or the owners' corporation. And so the minority is just not able to progress in right. successfully at a general meeting vote or at a committee-level decision-making basis. And so where they're the minority and the decisions that are being made by the majority are incorrect, the tribunal will displace the majority's voting rights together with the minority's voting rights, appoint a manager for 12 to 24 months to have full control and make all the decisions to avoid this majority flex.
0: Yeah. I mean, the case that springs to mind, and it was years and years and years ago, was the the owners of the majority uh, voting power in a building gave themselves the, the right to move into the, the attic space of the building. And yeah, it was, for, it was, for a peppercorn, they... Uh,
1: it, was a, well, it was a matter of Horton and Emma. And in this case, there were three lots. Two lots got together and who, who controlled more than 75% of the unit entitlements, sold themselves the airspace above the building, developed the airspace above the building, and then the third owner put their hand up for a share of profits and was given yeah. a share of the profits on the
0: basis of fraud on the minority. Yeah, but that and that that came up with a formula which was basically the cost of the renovations was subtracted from the profit, the increased value, and then that money was paid back into the owners' corporation. Would that still fly today? Do you think? Well, I think in the
1: in in the, in that case, it was paid to the owner, and hence the framing of the application on fraud minority. Why it's so rare that that event would occur, but. If it was paid to the owner's corporation, it would have to be uh, divvied out on basis of unit entitlements, which right. is, would mean that that owner would only get... you would only
0: money. get 25%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. I'd have to double check that, but that was my recollection. It's been many years since I've read that case in entirety. Yeah.
0: If strata still want to have a cost recovery bylaw, is it practical? How are we going to respond to the request of the strata committee? I understand this is a lot of strata committees are now saying, if you take us to NCAT or whatever, we are going to charge you the cost of defending the case. And there are variations on that. I mean, is that valid? Does it, is it allowable? No, no, time and time again, such a clause in a bylaw will
1: render the entire bylaw invalid, so it's highly inadvisable. And if it exists in a bylaw and you want to be able to rely on that bylaw for some other purpose, then you've just invalidated your reliance on that other purpose with that invalid purpose.
0: Right, because only the tribunal can award costs or not. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. If a deed is signed, but the builder is in breach of the deed, can the owner's corporation consider terminating the deed and seek cash settlement?
1: Yeah, look, um, we've been involved in some 500-odd defect cases over the years, and many of them settled by way of a deed, or many of them settled by way of what's called a work order through NCAT, and a deed is like a contract, um, and to the extent that it's breached, you can sue for damages off the breach. So you'd have to... put somebody in breach of the deed to sue for breach. To the extent you've got a work order, which is an order in NCAT where the builder or the developer have um, been ordered to perform a certain range of works, with that such a work order, if there's been a breach of the order, say, for instance, they were supposed to remove the cladding by, you know, June and it was, you know, nearly, it's 11 months on and they still haven't done it, then you're entitled to go back to NCAT within 12 months of that breach of that particular part of that order and ask for a cash payment out for there and we recently had a matter where we had a work order in place and with this work order the value of it exceeded the jurisdictional threshold of tribunal which was then um, 500,000 and we then went to cash it out within the 12 months of the breach and said that we're not limited by that $500,000 threshold to which it was agreed on uh, by the tribunal that we were correct and that we could cash out above the five hundred thousand jurisdiction.
0: Right. We're past our scheduled end time, but I feel guilty for having delayed the start. There's a few Q and
1: up there, Jimmy.
0: Okay, let's let's have a look. What are your thoughts on prohibiting the hanging of laundry, which are common in New South Wales strata schemes, given it is generally a purely cosmetic concern? However, encouraging use of internal dryers exacerbates mold issues and has material costs for residents and environmental impacts. Do you believe they are likely eventually to be found unreasonable? comparably to what happened to blanket pet bans.
1: Uh, when we do reviews of schemes bylaws and we see such a bylaw, we advise them that we think that the tribunal would view that as harsh, oppressive or unjust, and that you should modify that to provide that the hanging of washing of the balcony is fine so it's not visible from street, from street view.
0: I mean, I've heard of cases where people have been issued fines by the strata committee, or they've been breached because they're they were drying laundry inside their apartment, but it could be seen from the street. Look, look,
1: attitudes change over time, and and so did so accordingly. Do bylaws? Bylaws have been those sort of bylaws have been around since you know the eighties, and there was a solid attitude when I first started the strata industry back in about two thousand and three, working specialising in it. That there was a great concern that they didn't want to turn strata buildings into slums, i.e. they didn't want it looking like there was just sheets and towels all over the balustrades and whatever else. Yeah. And so there was a strong view that this was a proper requirement, but then all of a sudden the world turned in relation to carbon emissions, energy savings, uh, efficiency, and then that attitude's changed. But people haven't changed their bylaws to
0: change with the attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I would imagine with electricity prices going up, people would be buying washing lines by the truckload now because the sun and wind, of which we have plenty, will do the job. I've got another question here. I know I'm intruding on our listeners' time, but I do feel I owe you this. I'm going to crunch this question down. She's a tenant in an eastern suburb strata building. That puts her at a disadvantage right away. But her neighbour has taken the wall out, one of the walls out of her bathroom to make the bathroom bigger. And it means that she can hear all the noise from the bathroom, which must be very unpleasant. Now, she's saying, I'm assuming this is she, I don't know why. They are saying, how can they get the neighbor's flat inspected to show that they have removed a wall illegally. Okay. As a tenant,
1: you're always on the back foot because unless the landlord gives you permission, you're not going to be able to inspect the scheme's records to see who did what and when. Now, you should have been provided the registered bylaws and the bylaws would make reference to such works if they were approved. Now, this person's best footing would be to make a complaint through the local council to advise that of unauthorised building works, which they believe were performed, which they'd like investigated and remediated because the council will have the power of entry to investigate and look at that issue. Now, where it becomes a bit of a problem is that when it comes to the owner's corporation enforcing bylaws, they need to enforce it against the owner at the time who performed the works, not the current owner who may have inherited the works. Um, They would have been able to have a crack at the current owner in relation to the works if they had a proper bylaw authorising it because typically they'll say that you'll need council approval that doesn't sound like it was obtained for what happened there, and they'll also say that you know you'll be liable for um, repairing and maintaining that problem. It sounds as though noise insulation hasn't been maintained properly. Um, but in the absence of such a bylaw, transferring that from the current owner who did the works to the new owner, it's up to the owners' corporation to track down and look at a, cl- a claim against the old owner who may not be easy, who may not be around, who may not may not be easy to find. Now. To the extent that a tenant thereafter, they can't succeed with the council application, uh, they could look at an application to NCAT following mediation. to say the owners' corporation is not adhering to its obligation to repair and maintain the common common property. And that is the common property that existed at the time of registration subject to any authorisations which have been approved by a bylaw. And then the owners' corporation could find itself on the back foot of an order. From the tribunal to repair and maintain the common property, although it was modified by a former owner, and then look to try and recover compliance of that with that order from the former owner through some
0: court action. And what about the landlord? Is it worth would it be an easier option for the tenant to approach the landlord or the rental agent and say the value of your property has been diminished by the work done next door? Uh well, what
1: could occur is that the tenant arcs up against the landlord and the land, and seeks an abatement of rent on the basis that the property isn't isn't uh, as advertised, and then he would get a reduction in his rent. Yeah. And then that would leave the owner in the same position of the tenant in an action against the owner's corporation to repair and maintain common property, yeah. but coupled with a Section 106.5 claim for damages for loss of rent on the basis of the owner's corporation's failure to repair and maintain the common property.
0: So that would actually be the optimum avenue. Talk to the owner and say... I want a rent reduction, and then yeah. six months later, you get a termination of lease notice. That's the coincidentally. <laughs> that, that's that's what you'd have to um, give
1: careful consideration to: is the length of the duration of the lease and how willing you
0: are to move out. <laughs> and another one at the bottom here. Oh, All right. The, oh yeah, know. just I saw that just oh, popped good. up. The majority, the early stages, so seventeen to thirty years old. I. Approved and a, uh, and opposed the exclusive use bylaw on a new stage before they moved in. The cost of bylaw was not known until budget and levy advised six months later. Uh, I don't I even understand it- what that is. I think it ties in with the former paragraph. Oh, it's a it's a guy right and a Mr. Anonymous attendee. Yeah, um, he uh, he's saying that this was this was put in and nobody noticed and uh, right. So they're now retrospectively trying to un- unpick that piece of knitting, I guess. I don't know. I mean, is that possible? Can they go back and say they should never? Well, as you said, the an exclusive use bylaw uh, requires the people who are taking responsibility for the common property, they have to all sign off that they're prepared to do that.
1: Yeah. Um, there used to be a practice that... Some people, because after two years of the meeting, making the bylaw, that written consent is deemed to have been given. And there were some managers who had a practice of just registering such a bylaw at the end of the two years, so there's nothing you can do about it. And then you'd have the deemed consent given. And we always advised against that uh, because that's a fraud on the title. And under wow. the Real property act, there's a lot of consequences that can occur against somebody committing a fraud. So yeah, there are some bylaws that were registered without the consent. But even if but if two users marched on, then you're limited to an action in fraud against the person who committed the fraud. But in this case, it looks like an old two-lot scheme. Yeah. Uh, there was a bylaw where they didn't envisage transferring certain common property items to owners to repair and maintain. Uh, unless that bylaw is invalid, it needs to be adhered to.
0: And you might advise them whether the bylaw is valid or not. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why it might be. I'm going to, there's another one come up in the Q&A and we'll have to make this the last one because I have to dash off to my other job, which I hope I still have. Uh, are there any legal precedents where a bank that is not completing their mortgagee and possession process has been ordered to pay arrears levies and be responsible for future levies until such time as they decide to sell the property? So basically you're taking the bank to the tribunal and saying you got to pay your levies.
1: Yeah, look, with an owner who has typically lost possession of his property to the bank because he wasn't paying his mortgage, the owner remains liable for the levies, although they may not be occupying it, uh, and the bank becomes liable for all the former levies and the expenses incurred in recovering those former levies now since November 2016. Once they supply a mortgagee and possession notice and they're entered on the strata roll as such, but not until that point in time, they need to give you a mortgage and possession notice. So you could ask the bank, saying, oh, nice to meet you. Can you please provide your mortgagee and possession notice? And then I can deal with you, yeah source of notices and everything else. And then upon receipt of that entry on the strata roll, you can ask
0: the bank to stump up theories. And anonymous attendee has asked, I think it's somebody else actually, uh, in a, a BMC Who pays for the cost of shared facilities where only one strata plan is currently operational and the other schemes and lots in the DP, or whatever that is, are still being built? Um, As who it will be will be as specified
1: in the shared facilities register. It will specify the shared facilities and it will say who is paying what proportions. If the other members of the um, stratum subdivision uh, not yet completed, it would normally, subject to ad, cons, um, reverse drafting, just fall to the owner of that particular lot, whether it's constructed or not, to pay their contribution. Right. But they could okay. have drafted it in another way. Okay.
0: All right. David, I'm going to have to go. I feel that Thank you to have to go as able, well. For those of you who would like your
1: CPD certificates, if you can please email Alison and she'll send it through to you for your PSS points. Thanks, everybody, for attending. Uh, there is no quiz today.
0: Hence, why, well, if you want to see a PD certificate, please email Alison. Awesome. Thanks again, um,
1: Jimmy. Always
0: a pleasure. David, if it's okay with you, I'll put this out on the podcast next week. Feel free. I catch you cornered you there, didn't I? <laughs> okay. Thank you. And apologies again for the delays. Thanks, no David. Thanks, Thank you. Jim. Cheers. Bye bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying thanks again, talk to you again next week